guys enjoy taking tests? Yeah, you're my people. I knew it. I don't like tests. And I find that most people, most people, they're either really good at taking tests, like my wife. Oh, so annoying. Or, or, or they're really bad at taking tests, right? So when you come to take a test, some of you, you're like, I've studied up. I know the material. I'm ready to go. I got my 15 pencils in my pocket. Uh, just in case one breaks, I'm up for the challenge. And others of you, you, like, you got half a broken pencil and you didn't study at all. And, you're, and you show up with what we might call test anxiety. Anybody experience test anxiety? Yeah, I get it big time. And so when you show up for a test, you're like, I, I don't know if I'm going to make it. And I just tell you, it's tough because we get tested all of our lives. Like, you know, you get tested one minute after you're born. It's the Apgar test. Now, moms are like, oh, yeah, yeah. Dad's like, oh, excuse me, what? But moms know exactly what I'm talking about. The Apgar test where they, you know what I'm talking about? They, they test your appearance and the, what is it? The, uh, the pulse and the grimace and the, um, the activity, your muscles and your respiration, the Apgar test. And, and so when your kid gets that test, as a parent, you're like, so doc, tell me how they do. Like, did they, they did good, right? Like, better than every other kid in there, right? You know what I'm saying? You wanna know how your kid did. As you go through school, you end up with being tested all the time. There's all kinds of tests happening. And I've got two teenagers in my house right now, and they're starting to learn to drive, and they're going to have to take the driving test, and that's a stress on everybody. And when I was ending high school, I did what most high schoolers do. I took the SAT, and I thought, ah, oh, I, I got this on lock. I'll be just fine. So I didn't practice at all. I didn't study at all. And on Friday night before the Saturday test, I cracked open a practice book and I took a little test. It went real bad. And so I showed up on Saturday, ready to take my test with a little test anxiety. I took that SAT and you know what? I did real bad. <laughs> and so what that meant for me was I entered into college on academic probation. It sounds about right. And so I'm on probation. I got it one semester to prove myself or else I'm out of there. And so I worked really hard, and the end of that story is <clears throat> I graduated college with honors. But uh, oh, stop, stop. It was the bottom honors. It wasn't that big a deal. But, but it was cum laude, I guess. So, uh, so but, but when I was in college, we had this humanities test at the end of every semester of humanities. And what they did it was just, it was, it was a torture device. They had to, they took five topics from the period of time we were discussing. So art and literature and like, like it was some music or history or uh, political, like all these five categories. And they chose three of those. So you didn't know what they were going to pick. And then you had to write an essay, a synthesis on what that material was. You had to fill up a whole blue book. And it was a nightmare. So you stay up all night. I'd cram it all in my brain the night before, just trying to stuff it in there. And then I would show up. I'd, go, I'd skip breakfast, go to the cafeteria, drink five cappuccinos, not the good kind, the powder kind out of the machine, slam those down, no food. I'm all jittery. I think I'm having a heart attack. I go sit in the test. I'm writing. My hand, my, little, my body's literally shaking. I don't know if it's because I have test anxiety or if it's because of the five cappuccinos. What I know is I'm not doing well. A lot of us feel like that when it comes to taking tests. And so we're in 1 John, we're in chapter 3, and what, what I want you to hear today is that God actually does have some good tests. Like, you know, a good test can actually help you figure out if you have mastery of the subject matter. There are good tests. They're not all bad. 
And God actually has some tests that John's gonna show to these people that I think we can learn from today. So in John chapter three, 1 John chapter three, John's writing, because this church has some test anxiety, there's been false teachers and heresies, and there's been a split, and they're wondering, am I on the right path? And John says, God's got some info for you, some testing that you can know that. So John's writing this letter to refute the heresy of Gnosticism, and Pastor Ross and Pastor John, Pastor John? Thanks, John. Pastor Ross and Pastor John the Beloved uh, and Pastor Zach have all done a good job taking us through the history and the context of this book. But So you can look that up on YouTube. But he's refuting the heresy of Gnosticism that's coming from the apostate Jews and corrupt paganism. And he's writing to encourage believers in their relationship to God and to the brothers, to the world, and even to sin. So John's reassuring those who are staying the course in their faithfulness to Jesus. So yeah, John's writing to to warn and to help, but he's also writing to give them a positive goal. And you actually find it at the very end of the chapter, the the book, the letter, I should say, in 1 John 5, 13, here's what he says. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. So John wants to take away his readers' anxieties and help them realize what it means to be a true follower of Jesus. So here we go. You ready? 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it didn't know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. So up to this point, John's been talking a lot about love for God. He's been talking about love for brothers and sisters. And now he pivots a little bit and starts talking about God's love for you. And right off the bat in this chapter, the wonder of it all seems to overtake him. And he says, see what kind of love the Father has lavished on us. Now, the NIV misses some of the emphasis of other translations where it says, behold, which is frankly a word that I think we should bring back, actually. You don't say it enough. You know, behold, that was a great movie. I'm just saying, give it a try this week, see what happens. He says, behold, or look, see what love the Father has lavished on us. Lavish is another word we don't use very often. Maybe we should. Lavish, to, to bestow something in generous or extravagant quantities. And he says, we are called the children of God. But, but we don't just have the name. We actually are God's children. And one commentator said, when he's saying this, this is an act of legitimation, like a father naming their child. So none of their identity actually resists in the the hands of the child. The identity really comes down from the father. And the child's identity is secure. And there ain't nothing that nobody can do to take that away. So, listen, we are, you and me, followers of Jesus, we are what God calls us. We are the people who God says we are. And there's a lot of confusion in our world today. As you grow up as a teenager and you're going through the years and trying to figure it out, who am I? Who am I gonna be? What am I gonna do? What's my purpose? Where do I belong? What's my real identity? All those things are big questions that we all ask. And in our culture today, I think that there's a lot of confusion where people say that, well, identity comes from inside of you. You are the own determiner of it yourself. And I think that John is writing and pushing back on that view a little bit and saying, actually, if you're a follower of Jesus, I just wanna assure you You are who God says you are, and God says you're his child. You're not an orphan. You're not alone. You matter deeply to God. 
And you can actually trace God's desire for you through the scriptures. In the Old Testament, it's the idea of covenants and God making a special approach towards his people Israel. When you get to the New Testament, it's the idea of adoption. Romans 8, 14, for those who are led by the spirit of God are the children of God. The spirit that you received, it doesn't make you slaves so you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought, you, brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. Another word, actually, that I think you should bring back. I'm going to have my kids call me Abba all this week and see how it goes. <laughs> Abba, yes, dear. It'll be awesome. Here's the deal. God is a good father. In fact, God is the perfect father. And as a follower, you're his kid. And this is big. See, I, I try to do everything that I can to provide for my kids. I'm working hard to sacrifice, put food on the table, and put a roof over their head, and buy clothes, and take care of everything that they need. I'll do anything that I can to help them when they get into trouble. I'm investing my life to try to make sure that, that they, they get out of any trouble that they get in. They become everything and every, everything that they're supposed to be that God has put into them. And when I look at them, I can see it. I can see the goodness that God has put in there. I can see the gifts and the talents and the future. I see it all in there. And I just want to try to call it out and help them become that thing. And I think they're going to be incredible. I think they're going to be great. I think they're going to do great things in the earth. I think that they're going to be lovers of Jesus. I think the person that marries them, those people, they're going to be so lucky. At least that's what we're striving for. But I'm limited. I'm limited. I'm very limited as a father. And John wants us to know that God, he's not like me. God's not like you. And God is not limited. And he's lavished his love on you. God the Father sees you, loves you, and his love can never be exhausted. In fact, his very essence is love. But some of us still live like functional orphans. I'm out here all alone trying to do my thing, but, but nobody cares. Nobody's with me. Nobody's around. There's nothing I can do about it. Like you don't have a father, and it's not true. You are not alone. You have a father that loves you. And here's the thing. That's not all. God actually is able to give full concentration of his love to every person without being diminished or diluted in any way. There's all kinds of people on the planet, and it's for every one of them. I get confused when two of my kids talk to me at the same time. I'm like, whoa, hey, whoa, 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 whoa. What's with all the noise? Calm down, everybody. All right, you, you first. What's your name again? Got it. Okay, what do you need? Quiet, what do you need? I get confused. God's not like that. There's 8 billion people on this planet. And God is there for every single one of them. It reminds me of the genie in Aladdin. He's like, what do you need? What do you need? What do you need? For every single person. Pouring, lavishing his love on those who follow him. That is who you are. You are God's kid. And it doesn't matter if you feel like it or not. It doesn't matter if others look at you and say, you don't have the criteria or not. It just doesn't matter. You're his kid. But this has consequences. The world doesn't know us, John just said. And the world and the way of Jesus are incompatible. So here we go with verse seven. Dear children, don't let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. And this is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not know what is right is not God's child. John, come on, bro. Cut me some slack. Nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. John says, hey, everybody, there's two types of people in the world. 
Don't you love it when people say, there are two types of people in the world? You know there's gonna be some reductionistic, amazing wisdom that's about to pour out of their mouth. And they usually follow something like, there's toilet paper over people and toilet paper under people. Those are the two types of people in the world. And the under people are just psychos. I don't know why anybody would do that. There's in and out people and there's Whataburger people. And they hate each other. There's, there's, uh, there's Americans and then there's Texans. You got real nervous when I said Americans, didn't you? You're like, <laughs> what's he going to say? <laughs> uh, there's Android people and, oh, nice try. And then there's all God's children. So, <laughs> okay, you guys are going to need to listen to the rest of this. <laughs> <laughs> John's like, there's two types of people. And because of the false teachers, they're wondering, how do I really know? So this is test number one. Get rid of the test anxiety. How do you know who God's children are? If you're like me, you're starting to experience a little of the anxiety. I'm a little sweaty in my palms. I'm tapping my pencil. I'm chewing on it. So you're saying, if I do what is sinful, that you're a child of the devil. If you're born of God, you won't continue to sin. But I know that I commit sin from time to time so am I uh... the false teachers were saying that that knowledge was what mattered right this is the beginnings of Gnosticism and Ross and Zach have done a great job talking about that saying that the flesh is bad and spirit is good and there's a special knowledge that you can attain so for them they're saying your conduct it doesn't really matter and John comes in and he insists no 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 your conduct is evidence of your relationship with God and the present tense here in the Greek has this continuous force to it. So basically they're saying, no one who lives in Christ will continually sin. Nobody who lives in Christ will make a habit of sinning. So we're not so much talking about individual acts, but habitual attitudes and actions. There's a difference between I committed a sin and I'm living a life of regular sin. That's what we're talking about. And so John also says Jesus came to take away our sins. He came to destroy the works of the devil, and in him is no sin. And this has effects for the followers of Jesus. It means that nobody who lives in him keeps on sinning. Verse 9 says, no one who's born of God will continue to sin. Born of God, what it means is it points to something divine and supernatural, saying, hey, this isn't so much about you. There's something going on on the inside of you. This is not about you or your discipline or your willpower. It's about your willingness to surrender and obey. The other side of the coin is this, is the one who, who does what is sinful habitually or continually, well, that person is a child of the devil. And you're like, oh no, my kids. Because some of you have toddlers and you're like, no, they do bad all the time. <laughs> That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about life over time. There's an age of accountability and all that. Your kids are gonna be fine. But our culture will push back on this, I think. Because the message you hear most of the time is, do what you want. Do what makes you feel good. Yes. Hey, man, follow your heart. Mm. <laughs> you know, be true to yourself. Let what's on the inside of you just come out. Can I just tell you, that's terrible advice. Amen. You don't want to see what's on the inside of me. Amen. You don't want me following my heart apart from Jesus. It is wicked, and it wants things that it shouldn't have. So this is bad advice, you don't want to see it. The world will promise 
everybody that this is the way to happiness. This is the way to be fulfilled. This is the ultimate in our culture. And I think the question that I would ask is, how's that working out for you? Like, look around. How is that really working out for our culture? Because the stats on depression and anxiety and fear and and suicide and loneliness and, and divorce and families and all would say it's not going very well. Because all the promises of culture, they always come up short. Scholar B. Westcott, he says that life reveals the children of God. So your life reveals whether you're a child of God. And I think that's what John is saying. So if the test is, how do you know who God's children are? The answer is, we read it real plain. No one who is born of God will continue in sin. And if you're like, man, I don't know if I can do that. I don't know if I can make that happen. How do I really live in Christ? I can tell you, it's actually pretty simple. And where you can start is, read the Bible. Read it every day. Let it get on the inside of you. Pray and worship on the regular. Repent real quick. When you make a mistake, just repent. Just say, God, I want to turn away from that. Live in godly community. Join a group. And then, and then go out and try to be a blessing to the world. Like It's a few things. And then just repeat, 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 repeat. And if you can start doing that, you'll find yourself on a different path. So if you're sitting here with some anxiety, am I a child of God? Now you've got a few indicators and you can ask yourself, am I mostly done with sin or am I habitually sinning? And it's a good question to ask ourselves. Am I mostly loving towards my brother or sister or am I not? And if not, I've got good news for you today. You can pass the test. It's only because of Jesus. So if part of the answer to the test is do you love, how do you know if you love? Well, verse 11. For this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Don't be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one, murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Don't be surprised, brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know we've passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who doesn't love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. So this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anybody has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech but with actions and in truth. John insists this love, this command, this love is the first and greatest commandment. It has been from the very beginning. And he's saying that love is the very foundation and practice of the Christian message. Love is the greatest and highest virtue. You know it from Corinthians, these three remain, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is, it's love. John will say in the next chapter, actually, that God himself is love. It's who he is. It's not just the action that he performs. Love is who God is. It is his essence and nature. Notice he didn't say that love is God, which I think sometimes we try to elevate a little bit and make love the highest virtue on its own, Forgetting that love actually springs from God. Love actually comes from God. People in the world use it, but love's source is God himself, and they don't even realize it. One theologian said, this idea reveals that our society, it's a lapsed Christian society. Because love is a Christian revelation that springs from God. But in our culture, love's a little confusing, because I love God. I love pizza. I love my wife and kids. I love queso, right? I don't love all these things the same way. 
And I think our culture gets a little confused about love too because we're trying to define it and redefine it in different ways that suit our own desires. And John's like, hey, if that's what you're doing, if you're taking love to suit your own needs or desires, you're missing it. So John gives him the test. Test number two, how do you know what love is? I wanna know what love is. I want you to show me. I wanna feel what love is. I know you can show me. That video is real confusing without context, isn't it? <laughs> so it's ironing? I don't, okay, it sounds like the answer to the test from First John might be don't murder, right? That, that's what he said, so that seems like a pretty good start. I'm feeling pretty good about myself. I haven't murdered very many people today, and so I feel like I got this down. But then he says, anyone who hates his brother or sister is a murderer. So okay, our attitudes matter too and may mean that we don't love. So hatred is the essence of murder. Just like Jesus says that if you look after a woman lustfully, you've committed adultery with her in your heart. But you're like, man, I don't hate anybody. That's not me. I don't hate anybody. Really? What about the drivers on 35? I'm just saying, man. I'm just saying. Because I'm behind some of y'all. And I'm like, hey, get out the way. And honking, and Maria's like, Prince, stop. Stop, they might go to one chapel. And I'm like, well, I'm one of the pastors. I gotta tell them what to do. They need to know that's literally my God-given responsibility. Amen. Amen, brother. What about your ex? And it ended real bad. What about your family that's, that has taken advantage of you? What about the business partner? The business partner that, that cheated you. What about, what about the other political party that you don't belong to? How are your actions and attitudes towards them? You know we got both in the room, right? A lot of both in the room, I'm just saying. So, so you're like, okay. John says, if, if you hate, you're like a murderer. You don't have eternal life in you. If you love, then, then you have passed from death into life, you're living in life. But if you haven't done that, well, anybody who doesn't love brother or sister, they remain there in death. Okay, I can be nicer, I'll say nicer things, I'll try not to think anything bad or say anything bad. I'm gonna, tr I'm gonna try to stop posting my vague posts on Facebook about them so they know it's about them, but it's not directly calling them out. I, I can stop doing all of that stuff. John says, no, no, that's not it. We know what Christian love is because of Calvary. That's how you know what Christian love is. Jesus laid his life down and we have to do the same. Now, thankfully, death is rarely called for for most of us. But other opportunities show up every single day in your life. John says if anybody has stuff and sees somebody in need and he doesn't do anything, they fail the test. They don't love. Woo, John, I wish that you would shut up. I don't like this. That word sees here, it, it, it has the idea of more than just a passing glance. It's so that it's the idea of seeing your brother and sister long enough, you know their situation, and then you give sacrificially, laying your life down for them to help them. So, so love isn't defined by our culture 
or the words that we say, love happens in action and in truth. There can be no such thing as Christian theology without a Christian ethic. There can't be a Christian ethic without a Christian theology. And you're like, excuse me? What I'm saying is our beliefs aren't real until they translate into action. And our actions lack the authority and the force that they can have until they're based on belief in Jesus. So the question is, how do you know what love is? Just kidding, we're not doing that again. The answer is, look to Jesus, who laid down his life for us, and then just do the same. And if you're wondering, well, how do I really do that? Well, I got one thing you can do immediately. This afternoon when you go home, Google one another statements from the New Testament, and you'll get a whole list that you can get started on. Google one another phrases from the New Testament. So, how are you doing with that? Doing pretty good? A little nervous? All right, if you are, I have good news for you. Because of Jesus, you can pass that test. So here we go. John's readers and us, hopefully experiencing a little less test anxiety. So let's try to bring it home here. Verse 19. This is how we know we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts don't condemn us, we have confidence before God and we receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. And this is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. The one who keeps God's commands lives in him and he in them. Here we go. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit that he gave us. This phrase, this is how we know we belong to the truth, kind of governs this entire section. There's a theologian, last name of Marshall, he paraphrased, which I think helps us with this passage. He says, in this, referring to the love and obedience from verses 11 through 18, we will know that we are of the truth. So this is how we know. We'll reassure our hearts in his presence and whenever our hearts condemn us because God is greater than our hearts and God knows all things. We get a strategy here to deal with our anxieties. Sometimes I'll just be honest with you, I'm real hard on myself. Oh, you messed that up. Man, you, you didn't repent good enough. You, you, what was that, like five minutes? You need like 23 minutes of repentance, groveling before God. Man, you didn't give enough. You didn't, you didn't worship enough. You, you, didn't, you, didn't, you didn't read long enough. You didn't, whatever it is, I'm real hard on myself. Whenever we start to wonder, am I on the right, am I, am I passing or am I failing? What we find here is that actually our assurance can never be anchored in us. Our assurance is anchored in God alone. You can't look at your own feelings and decide, am I doing good with God? Am I passing my family? You can't do that because your feelings aren't reliable. John says God is the ultimate arbiter of our spiritual life and well-being. So don't look inside, look to him. And when your heart condemns you, God is greater than our hearts because God knows more about you and your fickle heart than you do. And when your heart doesn't condemn you, John says, you have confidence. And when you have confidence, you approach the throne with boldness and incredible things happen. So, what I'm, what I'm not talking about is like earning our salvation. Well, if you got love and you got obedience, that's how you get saved. No, that's not it. That's being saved by works. That's not how this works. No, John gives two commands of God here and they're the big tests. He says, do you believe in God's son, Jesus Christ, and do you love one another? Do you have faith in Jesus and do you have God's love? And that love only comes from the spirit of God living inside of us and helping us and us and him. But actually, everybody, the formula goes even further than this because this relationship, it's only made possible by the spirit of God that he's given us. Christian faith isn't about your, just your beliefs and your orthodoxy, but from an interior life 
in the spirit, what God is doing on the inside. And so John says, test three is, how do we know that God lives in us? His answer is, we know it by the spirit that God gives us. And it's the spirit that gives us assurance that we're passing the test. It's not you. And there's a couple ways that you can know this, right? Because you can identify the spirit's work in you. If you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse three, you find that it says that nobody can say Jesus is Lord except by the spirit. So if you're here today and you can say with confidence, Jesus Christ is Lord, I ain't perfect, I got lots of problems, but Jesus Christ is Lord, that's a work of the Spirit. If in Galatians 5, Galatians 5 at the end, 22, it says that the fruit, the activity, the result of the Spirit working in you is, the first one is love. There's two ways that you can know the Spirit of God's doing something. The activity of the Spirit of God is how we proclaim Jesus as Lord and how we love others. And so we're gonna go back into worship here. Here's what I want you to get. At the end of the day, with all the test anxiety, with all the sweaty palms and chewed up pencils, with all the worry about, am I in, am I out? Am I passing, am I failing? I I should have studied more. I should have listened to Pastor Brent more. The sermon wasn't that bad. I should have paid attention. I should have put my phone down. I'm not after anybody, by the way. I can't even see you. But you're like, oh. (laughs) Nope, not talking to you. I'm just saying... I shouldn't have scrolled, I should have scrolled less. I, I, I wonder, am I God's child? Am I child of the devil? Who am I, do I really love? I feel like I have a hard time loving. After all of that anxiety, what you find is, if you're a follower of Jesus, the test is rigged. It's rigged. Like it's an open book test. You get all the answers right there. It's all provided for you. Actually what happens is, is that Jesus himself decided to take the test for you. Jesus himself takes the test and he's real smart. So he gets A plus, 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 plus. He passed with flying colors. He's perfect. And then what he did is he wrote your name on the test and he slid it across the desk to you. He said, it's yours. And now when God the Father looks down at the test, what he sees is me, my work with your name on it. That's how this works. And not only that, but then I'm gonna give you my spirit to come and the teacher is gonna actually sit beside you and inside you and he's gonna whisper all of the answers into your ears and to your heart. (laughs) So we struggle with all this ridiculous anxiety and it's rigged. The question is, are you saying yes? The question is, are you allowing that work to be for you? Because I'm telling you, the, the father has lavished love on you and it's for you. The test is there. He can write your name on it. All you have to do is say yes. The spirit is available for you and you can rest assured. You can live with a calmness, not an anxiety in your life, but a calm reassurance. I am a child of God. I am a loving person. I am in the truth because I'm in Christ. Not because I'm great, because he's great. You can have that. So as we worship, if you find yourself wrestling with any of that, Man, I don't know if I'm in the truth. I'm pretty sure I'm not. I, I got some habitual stuff going on and I can't shake it. And now, now you gave me test anxiety. Well, Jesus is here to take that away. If you find yourself having trouble loving the way that you feel like you should and laying your life down for others, well, he can help you with that today. And I want you to ask him. In fact, I'm gonna ask the prayer team to come down. 
And if you want to respond, and we're going to take a few minutes to just respond to anything that God is doing in your heart and life. And one of the ways you can respond is there in your seat and worship and prayer and let God move in your heart and speak to you and rearrange some things. You can also come down and let these guys pray with you. And they would love to pray with you about anything that's being stirred up in here. And the other thing that I want you to do is, if it's, you're like, man, I nailed it. Check, check, check. Getting hundreds, I feel like I'm pretty good. But you got other stuff going on in your life. This is a moment where you can respond come down and let these guys pray with you about anything going on in your heart, mind, and life. So would you stand up with me? As we enter back into the presence of God and in worship, behold the love the Father has lavished on you. His love is actually chasing you down. He wants to help you pass all the tests. So God, we take a moment to respond and say yes to the work that you're doing in our hearts. Here we come. Thank you for receiving us. Now do what you want to do in Jesus' name.